This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. Today on our get on our show, we have a guest that we have been really excited to talk to, um, Alex Kadehakis or Alexandra Kadehakis. Um, you may have seen some of her interviews that she's been doing recently with everything happening in the news with um, the whole sexual assault, sexual um, harassment stuff that's coming out. There's several that have been articles or interviews that she's done that have been floating around. And she's a great mentor, colleague, somebody that we really have looked up to and learned so much information from and about, and we're so excited to share her with our audience and hope that you guys will um, really enjoy the conversation that we have with her. So welcome, Alex. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Anything you wanted to add about yourself or before we get started or anything that I, I mean, I know I missed stuff. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would just like to add that um, I'm the clinical director of Center for Healthy Sex in Los Angeles, um, and our website is centerforhealthysex.com, which is um, a, a, a site that's a plethora of resources for people around the country. Um, and if you have any questions during our conversation here today, um, you can certainly call Center for Healthy Sex at 310-843-9902, and our intake counselors um, are available to give you resources all over the country, whether it's a referral or a book or uh, answer a question you might have. Yeah, great. Thanks for adding that. Great. Um, so we wanted to open up um, a conversation around the sexual assault allegations that are in the news on a daily basis now. Yeah. And have been for about the last two, three two months. Two months, yeah. Um, this is something that we haven't we haven't covered in depth on our podcast and uh we're going to talk with Alex about it. So Alex, you, you've written um, some articles about this. Um, and I'm, I'm curious as you're watching this continuing to unfold, like what, uh, what is it that you're seeing in the larger national conversation, like some of those larger issues? Well, I think, you know, this obviously started with Harvey Weinstein in the early fall. And um, this is just unlike anything I've ever seen before, because just about every week we have someone else who's being, you know, outed or coming forward on their own volition, talking about their sexually egregious behaviors. And it's important, I think, for the listeners and for all of us to understand that we're looking at a continuum here um, from people who are sexually um, addicted or compulsive to those who are sexual predators and therefore um, offenders, which is a legal term, meaning they've engaged in arrestable behaviors. So I just want to contextualize this by reminding all of us that people that are sex addicts are typically having, <clears throat> excuse me, compulsive sex in a consensual way. Mm-hmm. So they're having multiple affairs, sex with strangers, hiring sex workers. So there is an agreed upon exchange for sex there, whether it's just you and me together or I'm paying you for sex. Um, in the case of Harvey Weinstein and certainly Bill Cosby, these men are, if, if the allegations are true, these men are engaging in criminal behavior, rape, 
um, you know, drugging women so they're passed out, having sex with them, another form of rape. These are all very serious crimes, and sex addicts are not necessarily criminals. Mm -hmm. So people want to lump all of this into all sex addicts are predators or all predators are sex addicts, and both of those are reductive and they're not true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean like now that Harvey Weinstein went to treatment, several others have gone to treatment for sex addiction. That doesn't mean that that gets them out of their criminal consequences or the behaviors that cross those lines. Yeah, that's right. In fact, um, several of those people have warrants for their arrest out in different cities. um, And they're going to have to pay the legal consequences of these allegations if they're found to be guilty. Mm -hmm. What sex addiction treatment does for offenders, because there is an offending component to sex addiction treatment in these inpatient hospitals, is it has these people starting to look at their distorted thinking, their denial, Mm -hmm. um, the ways that they were um, strategic and predatory, and they hold them highly accountable for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Um, I think the misnomer is that sex addiction is a label that gets people off the hook when it's in fact quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right. A kind high of, level of accountability. Yes. And points them into kind of root causes and understanding and pulling stuff apart and looking at that. Right. And getting to these deeper mechanisms of Mm -hmm. typically early childhood abuse, neglect, sexual abuse, um, pathological dissociation, all of which leads to their pathology. Um, And as a culture, we tend to be so cruel when it comes to criminality. We just Mm -hmm. want, you know, the death penalty. We want to kill people as opposed to saying, wow, this person was deeply damaged and they became the perpetrator and now we can try and help them shift and change their lives and become better human beings and therefore better citizens, or we can just throw them all in jail. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you bring up an interesting point because I, I think with that criminal element, as you were talking about, that we're so harsh and we're so, there's so little room for, empathy or compassion. And I'm not saying empathy and compassion happens without accountability, but sometimes I think we're so quick to move into an us versus them mentality. And, and the longer that this has gone on and more keeps coming and it seems like we just keep hitting a new layer and then a new layer exposes itself. I, I think it's one of those in which, you know, initially because, you know, nobody seems to really like Harvey Weinstein, it was easy to say he's a bad person, Mm -hmm. he's a bad man, and we don't like bad men. But the more that this has gone on and the more men that this has impacted, the more women that are speaking up, I think it has started to maybe deepen that conversation into this maybe looking at kind of the pervasiveness of sexism, of sexual harassment that happens maybe not quite to the level of Harvey Weinstein, but is also so prevalent in our society. Yeah, and I think um, it's spurring things um, like um, uh, people to come forward, men like yesterday, Morgan Spurlock, who is best known for the documentary Supersize Me, came forward and said, I'm part of the problem. Mm-hmm. I am one of these guys. I've been sitting on the sideline wondering, you know, are they going to come for me next? And he said, 
I'm sure I'm not alone in worrying about this, Mm -hmm. he said, because, you know, my whole thing is I built my career on trying to find the truth. And he said, it's time for me to be truthful because I've Mm -hmm. been part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I was accused of of date rape when I was in college. Um, I called an employee, um, you know, a sexualized name for a long period of time. Um, What he's done um, is what maybe a lot of guys have done, you know, part of it was tied to drinking all night. And actually he sounds like an alcoholic because he says he drinks every day. Mm-hmm. So he's probably an alcoholic and probably a sex addict also. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's bringing forward people that are saying I've been part of the problem and that's the conversation that needs to be had. And one of the things I need that needs to shift is that this has historically been a woman's problem. Mm-hmm. Women have had to deal with this quietly by themselves with another girlfriend to console them. And this needs to be a male problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Need to start to take this problem on. And I think we have to redefine how we construct masculinity today mm-hmm. because historically it's all been about, you know, grabbing what you want cat calling, sexualizing mm-hmm. women, colluding with that kind of sex talk um, that can really get guys going with their testosterone and their sort of bravado of going after women, as opposed to men who don't talk that way to each other and mm-hmm. actually talk about women in different ways. So our whole, the culture of masculinity has to change. Um, and I think that's what we are potentially, possibly on the road to, or maybe what we're looking at with this phenomenon. Yeah, yeah with, with I what, hope so. With what you mentioned about Morgan Spurlock, have you seen any any other men, Alex, do what Morgan Spurlock did yesterday? Because I've been wondering, like, who is sitting there waiting for the shoe to drop for them? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm trying to think in all the unending material I've been reading. Um, I think mostly it's been anonymous. There was an mm. anonymous movement that started after Me Too called um, I Can Change that started in mm. Australia. Um, and I know that in my own men's group at CHS, uh, those men have been coming forward. One man bravely, sort of week or two after Harvey Weinstein was exposed, um, started the group by saying, you know what, I've been one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And all of the guys that are in recovery from sex addiction said, yeah, I have been too. Meaning not that they were offenders, but that they have been, you know, part of the problem of mm-hmm. overtly sexualizing women or preying on vulnerable women, um, knowing that they could, you know, get them to have sex with them, not caring about them whatsoever. And so that these grown men in recovery are starting to say, hey, I I did that. And now I'm watching my current misogynistic behavior with my girlfriend or partner um, or wife is really, again, part of the change that has to happen. Mm -hmm. But Spurlock, I think, is the first sort of celebrity that's come forward that said, hey, um, I'm going to expose myself first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I I remember you talked about how unlikable Harvey Weinstein is like nobody likes him um I remember the first allegation that kind of hit me in the gut um and it reminds me what Trevor Noah said on the daily show like now when I hear a celebrity's name in the news I I hope that they're saying that they died because if they haven't died it means that they have have um abused somebody or harassed somebody right um but I remember when I heard allegations against Al Franken and saw those pictures Mm -hmm. I was like Mm -hmm. oh How's he going to respond? And, 
you know, of, of all the people out there, like certainly he'll have a response that's responsible and, and empathetic. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it right. was a, right. well, I remember it very differently or it didn't happen. There was again, some of that cover up. So the development well, yeah. yesterday, that was refreshing to me that somebody would take the initiative and, and own it rather than wait for it to fall down. Right. And look at what's happening with Russell Simmons. I mean, he Mm -hmm. is a good example of what you, the three of us see all the time. Um, He is continues to deny these rape allegations um, and he's going to prove his innocence. Mm -hmm. And um, he um, also is sort of hiding or he's split with his spirituality. So historically we've seen this in religious leaders, right? Mm -hmm. That have this, um, big split, but this is a guy. Russell Simmons is all about yoga and spirituality, and he's been on the cover of yoga magazines. Um, and yet, there are people that um, have known about his reputation for a very long time, um, and they don't consider that he's such a nice guy when it comes mm-hmm. to these behaviors. And we see this kind of compartmentalization and mm-hmm. split in sex right. addicts every day of the week. Yeah. Um, so he's saying. So he's saying that was in the past. That's not who I am today. And that may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and let's say that it is in the past and that that isn't who he is today. We know kind of the, the steps of recovery say there, there has to be repairs made and amends taken like that. That can't mm-hmm. just happen. Like I know this, I've looked at this, I've acknowledged it to myself and let's hope nobody else has to know about this. Like that's not really transformative for individuals. Yeah, it's not. not. I mean, how many times have you had clients come in um, where you meet with them for the first time and their wives have caught them because they've been having sex outside the marriage for 15 years and they come in and and you start asking them about their sexual behaviors and they say, well, I'm not doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. And you say, oh, well, when was the last time you did it? Well, two weeks ago when I got caught, but I'm not doing that anymore. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, but your potential to do it tomorrow is actually very high. Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's missing in all these apologies, whether it's, you know, Simmons or Franken or anybody else, is um, I don't hear them saying, this is what I'm going to go do about it. Yeah. Right. Um, even Louis C.K., you know, very nice apology, very, very apologetic. But I don't hear him saying, I'm going to therapy. I'm going to an mm-hmm. inpatient unit to get help for this. I'm going to go find out more about myself. It's that that was horrible. I'm so sorry. I'm not going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And I don't trust that. Which I think has been a problem for a long time that somehow we think saying those words, I'm sorry, is the whole of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just is such a beginning, if it's a beginning. I mean, sometimes it really is, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I'm dealing with this. And not truly this understanding of what led to this. How did I get mm-hmm. here? What do I do now? How, wh- what do I need to be aware of so I don't fall backwards? That, that's one of the things that I'm really curious. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear your take, Alex, if you think as a nation, we're capable of going into those conversations. Because I felt the same way. People saying, um, I'm going to resign or I'm going to step down. And my thought is, so you're going to go do more of this out of the public eye now. <laughs> like, um, I, I don't trust that. And I, I wonder, I wonder if you see a possibility for having those conversations about what is going to be done um, and, and what repairs are going to be made. 
Yeah, I mean, I think people are going to have to be held accountable in some ways because um, we have a way of forgetting, you know, mm-hmm. this sort of dies down. I don't know that this is going to die down because it's been like the, the fires in Southern California just keeps on rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, helping these people get help, and that's part of what's missing in the dialogue is there's a lack of compassion uh, for these men right mm-hmm. now. They're all just being, uh, it, it feels like a witch hunt and understandably because women have been silenced for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I think the person of the years were all, all these women, you mm-hmm. know, who came forward that we needed a Greek chorus of women in order to get the attention of the greater culture that women are sick of living with this kind of thing. Yeah. So that's, super important is that the victims get to have a voice, move into victorhood and make social change. But rather than just crucify these men, we need to get have compassion and help them start to get help. Um, and I don't know, you know, typically people run and they go underground and then they emerge again in two or three years and we sort of forget about what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think there should be some accountability for, well, how have you changed? And mm-hmm. yes. what living amends are you making? Right. Um, you know, can we look back and see what this person did over the last two years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if either of you saw that there was an op-ed in the New York Times by Amber Tamblin. And she was kind of talking about this. Well, she said in the op-ed, like, I'm not ready yet for the redemption of mankind. Mm. And mm-hmm. she yeah. she talked about, did you see that? Um, and she just kind of said, like, we're still just unearthing the suppression, right. the oppression, the abuse of women. Um, and so before we can jump to the redemption of men, which needs to happen if we're going to mm-hmm. heal and kind of learn the lessons that we need to and be better moving forward, um, but we can't just jump there too quickly, right? Or the lessons aren't learned. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree with her with that. I yeah. think, you know, this is about, um, this is sort of the macrocosm of the microcosm that we as sex addiction therapists see all the time, mm-hmm. where if this was a average couple coming into treatment, um, where let's just say for purposes of, you know, our conversation that the male was the um, betrayer, and that we ask the female to forgive him just because he's now come clean with his behaviors mm-hmm. um, is not enough. That right. that yeah. male has to prove um, that he's making changes and he's got to regain her trust. He's got to earn yes. her trust mm-hmm. back. Well, and, and I she, think that's what Amber is, Tamlin is saying. Yes, because she have talked. To see something change. She talked about right that before redemption can come, there has to be an atoning, mm-hmm. and right. and that atoning really takes some time to fully understand what led into the the misuse of power the all of those things right and and so redemption doesn't come quickly and it doesn't happen on the surface right and it doesn't come easily but it does come because we've all seen that i mean right. i have people yes. that have been in you know therapy and in group with me for five six seven eight years um, who have completely changed their lives and mm-hmm. changed their character. And mm-hmm. so I've seen redemption, you know, live and direct and forgiveness from their partners as well. Right. Um, but it's not an easy road. It's a long, difficult road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as it should be. Yeah. Um, 
Because if it happens too fast, we all know that it's not real. And that, yeah. that really gives the offender a hall pass. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's one of my hopes for, I think, the power that this movement has generated. You know, it's, it's largely been women at this point who have kind of drummed up that power and have, have used it to start change. And I think at some point it's up to the men um, who have been part of the problem. I, I shouldn't say the men who have been part of the problem. It's up to men who have been the problem um, to sit with what is coming up, to feel that, um, to do some soul searching um, and, and to really take time with that pain. So that pain can, can cultivate new resolve, new actions, um, new commitments. And, and I think that's like the next step of the, the power that's been generated is men are going to have to take that and do something with it. Not just say, I'm sorry and slink away and then, you know, live a quieter life. Um, I, I really hope that we can see that kind of cultivation of men and, and men cultivating themselves. I agree. And I think, you know, those men who are fathers, um, especially that um, have young boys um, that are parenting those boys and stewarding them into malehood, especially during adolescence, this is your moment to start to create a different kind of male and not mm-hmm. the male that was created in the seventies by the feminist movement, where mm-hmm. I think that's part of where we failed because um, at that time women were teaching their boys how to have feelings like women. And then we got this whole generation of males who lacked assertion um, and, you know, their sort of male assertion and aggression was kind of whittled out of them that didn't do us or women any good Mm -hmm. um, because we really need males raising their boys in appropriate ways Mm -hmm. so it's I think in some ways for as horrible as this is there's something evolutionary about it Mm -hmm. yeah so I know one of the articles that you were quoted in um, I think it was a Huffington Post one and um, I think it was I think it it started out like last month. And I remember because I do a monthly consultation group with you and it was the, it was the morning we had this phone call. And I think in that, that um, consultation phone call, we spent like the first, as a group, we spent like the first 30 or 40 minutes talking kind of about all of this stuff. Um, And you were talking about just kind of some of the pushback and some of the, even the vitriolic pushback that you've received by speaking about this. And, and I don't remember if I shared this in the phone call or if I just knew that this had happened that morning, but one of my Facebook friends had um, posted your article and it was a male and he had posted Mm -hmm. your article and I don't remember what he said, but it was supportive of your article. And so I was interested just knowing you and knowing that, you know, Mm -hmm. you were quoted in it. I was, I read the article and then I started reading the comments. And at that point, you know, this was like at eight 30 in the morning, all of the comments were by men. And I think the article uh-huh. was something about like why men force women to watch them masturbate. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was what you yeah, were speaking right. to. And it comes like in that, and maybe we can talk about this. I don't think we've talked about eroticized rage on the podcast, mm-hmm. but that article started getting into that. And, and most of the men well, all of the comments made by the men were uncomfortable with what you were saying. Um, mm-hmm. Several of them were just like, who is this Alex Katahakis anyway? And I, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with what she's saying and, and who is she to be saying all of this? And 
And eventually somebody had, I guess, looked you up online and said, well, actually, she kind of has a pretty impressive CV. <laughs> and yet I still don't think that she's right on this. Right? <laughs> and none of these right. men are trained or have the background and experience that you do. But it was just a what she's saying makes me really uncomfortable. And so she can't be right, which is, mm. I mean, I read this and I thought, well, isn't this ironic? Like, this is the problem, you mm -hmm. know, that here's this woman who has studied this, has experience in this, has been treating this for years. And she's speaking about this and men who really don't have any exposure to this other than this Huffington Post article are saying, I don't think so. Um, Right. And, and, you know, so I commented and just kind of said, I, I find this ironic. And knowing Alex Kate Hawkins, you're right. She does have a very impressive CV and she does know what she's talking about. And I don't know that any of you can speak to it the same way that she can. And because you're uncomfortable, you're now mansplaining this. Mm -hmm. And that's not mm. going to work. You know, like that, right. that's taking her out of this discussion because what she says makes you uncomfortable. And, and so you're missing the point of going deeper and saying, why am I uncomfortable with this? And what do I need to look at myself? Um, so kind of having that little story in that background, I, I do want to maybe talk about like what, obviously we, we're not going to go into a lot of detail, but you know, as we talk about that saying sorry isn't enough and and that what are they going to do? What does that road ahead look like? What does need to be done? Do you want to speak to that? Well, sure. I mean, it depends on the road that the person takes. Mm -hmm. um, but in, we all know that in the 12-step programs, you know, an apology is not an amends. Mm -hmm. um, and amends are living, breathing actions that take place over time. So we think of them as living amends, that the person is changing their behavior, that they're making restitution. Um, maybe they're um, not only um, decided that they are going to work a 12-step program, that they are going to go to therapy, be in a men's group, start to really excavate what, what caused me to behave in such offensive behavior? Why would I be acting this way towards females unless I was angry or feeling sexually inadequate or, you know, had been mistreated by a female, perhaps my mother as a child or neglected, and I'm trying to get the attention of a woman in the mime language of sex rather than in actual relational ways. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm afraid or I'm impaired in some way or I just don't know how to do it. And these are self-reflexive questions um, that require some sort of therapeutic process. Mm -hmm. And not everybody wants to go to therapy or wants to work a program. Mm -hmm. But right. again, I think this is about evolution. Am I interested in insight and in growing my brain and my being in my integrity and reaching my full potential as a human being. And as a therapist, I have a bias that this is the road or a significant road that will take us to those places. Mm -hmm. That self-reflection is how we grow and change. And, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, human beings need other human beings to do that. If we could all sit around in our rooms by ourselves and talk to ourselves and get better, we would do it. But mm -hmm. mostly that just makes us isolated and crazy. <laughs> so 
we need another human being to reflect back to us, to regulate our nervous systems, to help us start to change over time. And that's what a quote amends looks like. And with mm-hmm. that comes behavioral changes, whereby maybe some of these men start to volunteer at women's shelters where mm-hmm. there's domestic violence or where they're contributing money to women getting out of sex trafficking mm-hmm. that, harbor, that, that services a lot of these sexual massage parlors in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing something to affect social change, talking to other men, talking to boys, using their platform, especially if they have celebrity, um, to have a voice for change in the world. Um, you know, Tammy Nelson, who uh, is a sexologist, says that men in power should empower women. Mm-hmm. And I just love that mm-hmm. saying, that men in power should empower. They shouldn't strip women, abuse women with their power. Mm-hmm. Um, they should give us a leg up. We should help each other. The genders should help each other, you know, shift and change the social pains and problems we have mm-hmm. in our culture. Yeah. So we I, all have to work together. I, I, I love hearing you talk about that, um, kind of how the genders work to empower and help one another. And anytime um, I, I've read in your books or heard you talk about like what this maximized um, relationship between men and women can do and, and can accomplish, like it brings up a lot of emotion for me. Um, mm. it, it brings up a lot of, uh, kind of a lot of hope for me. And I'm, I'm thinking about, um, kind of this, this living amends. And one of the things that I wonder is, um, if as a society, if we can keep this issue in the forefront, like it needs to be so that, uh, you, you talk about this being an evolutionary process that the people who do not choose to engage in that kind of self-reflection and change and becoming relational and, and helpful to each other that um, they kind of select themselves out of the leadership pool or they select themselves out of the, um, the public eye because as a society, we're saying we, we don't want that anymore. That doesn't work for everybody in the best way. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciate your, your, your take on that and the feeling um, that comes with talking about, what we can do for each other as men and women. Yeah. And one of the things Gloria Steinem says is that we should eroticize equality. Mm. And I also love that notion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard for me to wrap my head around in some ways. So when right. I, when I think about that notion, like what does that mean exactly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's so provocative that I keep turning it over yeah. in my head. Like if it were really erotic to see you know, someone you're attracted to really of the same sex or opposite sex um, and to say, wow, this person is confident and they're strong and they're reaching their full potential. And that is sexy to me. Not that I'm going to subjugate that person or use them for my sexual purposes or degrade them or hurt them. And that's arousing to Mm -hmm. me. But that actually should be considered a distortion, Mm -hmm. not the other. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think... And so how do you equality hot yeah because I think you'd have to be I mean again I think you know we are biased we're therapists but I think again this takes you into self-reflection insight understanding so that somebody's passion that somebody's strength doesn't overshadow yours or 
intimidate or threaten mm-hmm. yours, but actually right. arouses and mm-hmm. excites yours. And inspires. When I yes. think about the muse and I think about inspiration, um, that if you're with a partner and you're riffing in the ways that we are today, um, you start to have an excitatory sense in your body. You're mm-hmm. moved in the way that you're talking about, Jonathan. There's an aliveness and a resonance between us that is inspirational and it's sensual and it's a mm-hmm. full-bodied experience um, that is a part of creativity and play. And when you, you're doing that with a lover, then that is part of what makes people sexually attractive to us also. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have it in these kind of conversations, um, but we are not sexualizing it because that's not the nature of our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but if this was with your wife or your husband, you can see where, wow, this is really inspiring and you're mm-hmm. attractive to me and I love you and I feel sexual towards you now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we, you had talked a little bit earlier about um, kind of the work that men have to do around masculinity. And as, as you're talking about that, the, the thought comes to my mind. I, I think uh, as, as a male who is working on what masculinity means for me and what that needs to mean for me, um, the, the thought came to mind that my masculinity needs to be something that nothing else can threaten. And not because I put everything else down, but because my concept mm-hmm. of myself as a man is strong enough and has enough integrity um, and is authentic enough that somebody else being who they are or somebody else being successful or having wants, needs, and desires, that's not a threat to me. That's nothing that I have to respond to or, or put down or, or experience as threatening. And that's, to me, that's really beautiful. I'm moved right now as you're saying that, Jonathan, because that makes me as a woman feel safe. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, this guy is not going to budge off of his principles, his integrity, who he is. And that allows my femininity to come forward in a way that's creative and luscious and alive. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be mistaken for, oh, that means I can now masturbate in front of her. Mm -hmm. Which is, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like a ridiculous leap. But it's like, oh, wow, my being solid allows the women around me to come forward in these super creative ways. What mm-hmm. a gift. And yeah. that's where I think, you know, the masculine can really serve the feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the feminine can then, um, I think in Ken Wilber's words, you know, worship the masculine because the mm-hmm. masculine gives us a container for that. And what a gift. Mm-hmm. And that's not about, you know, male, female. That's about energies now mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Right. Well, and I think it's a, I was working with a couple earlier this week and, and we were talking about, um, you know, kind of what it takes for the female to feel comfortable to assert herself sexually and even to be aggressive sexually. And I think that Mm -hmm. safety that the male creates for her, you know, that, that it's a different type of vulnerability. And, you know, as a female, I I said to the male, I don't know if men, I don't know, I'm not a man. I don't know if men feel that vulnerability about um, showing their strong, assertive side the same way females do. But my guess is no. And for a female to really be able to kind of come alive and really fully envelop her passion and, right. and and to use that in a sexual way, I, I think there's a high level of safety that 
has to exist in the relationship or else she may do it in a way that then flips the power mm -hmm. back and now it becomes destructive. Right. I, I would agree. And, you know, Michael Castleman, who's a, a, a journalist, men's journalist, who's written about this in an old book now called Great Sex, but his whole overarching message is that when men figure out that sex is really the woman's ride, they can have whatever they want. Mm. Um, but they don't realize, you know, that they are creating a container for the female to thrive sexually, and then the erotic can really come alive. Many men are threatened by that, or they're afraid of it, um, and I think that's when things can get pornographied, um, mm. and it's mm. about the male dominating the female um, to the point of, you know, humiliation and degradation. Mm -hmm. um, and so these are powerful, powerful energies. And I think a lot of women's sexuality gets stifled or they feel like they have to have sex the way porn tells us we're supposed to have sex. Right. And they don't really get to ex explore their adult female sexuality, which is quite powerful. Mm -hmm. um, in the ways that you're talking about. So all of this, ties together obviously yeah so just kind of talking about taking these evolutionary steps as a society as a culture as communities what let's talk for a minute I mean we've talked kind of about the role that men have in this but let's talk for a minute about you know besides stepping out and saying me too and starting to band these stories together what are the other roles that women play in this well, that's, um, you know, that's going to be another conversation that we're going to have to have is, you know, what are the females parts in this and part of it has been, um, you know, that we have remained silent that we haven't spoken up mm -hmm. and I understand why believe me I get it. Um, I mean, I even had somebody uh, an older male, much older male, actually in his 80s, say to me, you know, why are these women taking so long to come out about this? And mm -hmm. it's like, well, you know, when you're stunned or you're a deer in headlights um, or you're being told that what you're, you know, it's not true what you're saying, um, we all sort of freeze or revert to being very young. And mm -hmm. that's a whole complicated conversation itself. But mm -hmm. I do think women are going to have to look at the way they comport themselves in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, we've gotten so many skewed messages about how to look um, and also what it means to be sexy and desirable. And also that part of the deal, part of climbing the corporate ladder is to use our sex and sexuality and our looks as an asset along mm -hmm. with our intelligence and our capability. It's just another tool to get ahead. Mm -hmm. So we've been playing this game. Um, and that, that's part of it. You know, when you wear a pencil skirt and four inch heels, um, you know, to work and you're showing cleavage and every guy in the room is looking at you, you can't act like you don't know they're not looking at you. Mm -hmm. right. You know they're looking. Right. Um, and you also, you know, maybe it's a younger woman in her late 20s and she really thinks, you know, the guy three cubicles down is cute and she wants to go out with him. So she puts herself together in a way to get her attention. But what she doesn't realize is that the 65-year-old with the window office is checking mm -hmm. her out mm -hmm. uh, because that's that's how men think that's the way it shouldn't be how they think it's just the way men's brains operate mm -hmm. you know they're seeking salience they're going to look at that um, whatever that body part is um, and male we're asking males to be aware of that now and not act on it but females have to be aware of how they stoke that fire also right so I want to be 
careful, I'm not blaming the victim, but I do think women have to think about what am I wearing today? How mm-hmm. am I dressed when I go into the workplace? What's appropriate? How do I sexualize humor? Do mm-hmm. I give mm-hmm. mixed messages to males and then get offended uh, because, um, you know, they come back at me in that particular way? Yeah. Well, so, and again, being, being aware of where, and I think as females, more fully step in and own their sexuality instead of continually running it through men. Um, right. <laughs> that, that then we become more aware of when it's appropriate for my sexuality to be expressed and when it's just, it needs to be on the side because that's not what this place is about, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is not where right. I'm, I'm engaging my sexuality because that would be inappropriate. That's right. And I think workplace rules are going to change radically now and people are going to be very careful about, you know, how they talk to each other. There have been Mm -hmm. lots of articles on the net about that with guys Mm -hmm. saying, you know, just stop it. Stop asking your cohort, your female coworkers about their sex life, about their date over the Mm -hmm. weekend, about whether they got lucky. Um, It's not funny. It's not banter. It's not what you should be talking about. Mm -hmm. That's not your job. Mm -hmm. Um, And for women um, as well, to make a distinction between when I go to work, do I feel beautiful? Do I feel dignified? Do I feel attractive for me? Or am I going a little bit further and showing a little bit too much where my sexuality is leaking out? Mm-hmm. So women should own their sexuality, not have it own them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, um, it, you know, they walk down the hall and everybody is smelling their perfume, <laughs> looking at them in a sexualized way. Um, but they notice that she is, you know, her beauty, her fullness is there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think those are subtle differences. Yeah. 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 I think another, um, you know, role for women, and I, and I think this is happening as the conversation continues in just the length of time. But I know, you know, when it first started and then the whole uh, Me Too campaign started, you know, I had just posted on my Facebook wall, like Me Too. And I got a call that night from my older sister and she said, you know, Hey, my husband mentioned that you posted something on Facebook. I hope I can ask you about it. And I said, well, if it's on Facebook, I hope so too. Um, Yeah, right. (laughs) And uh, she said, he said that you posted me too. And I said, Oh yeah, I did. And she said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know about this. And you know, and I I said to her, cause she was just like, what happened? Can I ask what happened? Or can I ask, you know, and I said, you know, for me, it wasn't anything on the extreme end of the continuum of the me too. Mm -hmm. Um, and I said, but I don't think that's what this campaign is about. Right. So I was not date raped or, you know, assaulted that way in a, in a rape situation. Um, and she was just, you know, I said it was more, it's just the, the comments, the cat call, the harassing, the, you know, I said, I've, I've kissed a boy before simply because I wanted out of his car mm-hmm. and I wasn't getting out without doing that, you know, and things mm-hmm. like that, that are, that are also coming up in these conversations, you know, and, and she kind of paused for a minute and then she said, well, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I said, well, it happened to you too. And she was just like, what? (laughs) You know, and I recounted, I said, I mean, I don't really know what happened once you moved out of the house, but before you were 18, I know this, this, and this. And she was just like, 
oh, and I was like, oh, sorry, you called me. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> here's the bad news. Like you're calling with all this, yeah. you know, it was kind of some pity, but you're calling with pity for me. And I just pulled you in sure. to the, to the whirlpool with me. Yeah. Um, well, that's the level of denial that yes. we're in. Yeah. Well, and I told her, I said, you know, when it first started coming out, my initial thought was, I'm so glad that never happened to me. And, and then mm -hmm. literally within the hour of me having that thought, like all these memories yeah. started popping up and I was just like, isn't right. that interesting that that's been so just kind of blended into the background of mm -hmm. my life that yeah. something like this comes out and I, it, it literally took some time for me to recognize, oh wait, those things weren't appropriate either. Mm-hmm. I think it would be very interesting for all of us, our, our listeners as well, to take the opportunity in the forums they're in during the week, whether it's a classroom or at work, um, or if you're teaching something, to just ask the question, how many women in here um, are part of Me Too? And to see the hands go up. Mm -hmm. Most, I would say three quarters of women, uh, if I'm in a room full of 20 people and I ask that question, maybe two or three women don't raise their hands. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, right. So maybe the question is, if this hasn't happened to you, raise your hand. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's where you'll see a smattering of women. And just by asking that question, we start to break through the collective denial mm -hmm. of what we put up with and endure. Because mm -hmm. if I don't kiss the boy, I won't get out of the car. Right. Yeah. If I yeah. don't do this thing, then I'm going to have to suffer here. So I'd rather do it. And that's what the Harvey Weinstein women said. Only mm -hmm. they were required to do much more you know, egregious and disgusting things. And even, I'm sorry to say, um, one of the allegations against um, Dustin Hoffman too. Mm -hmm. um, and these were, these were underage girls. Yeah. So, you know, the, it's a survival mechanism. Like I have to do what I have to do because I'm going to get in trouble or I'm in danger here. Right. And that's not, that's not consent, right? That's an appeasement no. coming from that's a survival right. mechanism, mm -hmm. but that's not consent. And as we've been talking about boys, we also have to educate our girls that they get to own their no. They get to walk mm -hmm. away, that nobody's going to hurt them. They're not in trouble. They're not bad. They're not, you know, sluts or anything like mm -hmm. that. That no simply means no and get yourself out of the situation and then tell somebody, a parent, an authority, a friend, mm -hmm. don't keep it secret. Yeah. Don't, you know, suffer in silence with this. Well, and I saw this over... Uh, leading up to Thanksgiving, I can't remember what group kind of put it out in social media, but they were talking about, um, you know, as you come together for the holiday, um, don't require your kids to kiss and hug people they don't want to kiss and hug. That was the you know? Girl Scouts. Yeah. That was always the Girl Scouts. Right, right. Yeah. That just because it's grandma, if you don't want to kiss or hug her simply because you're not in the mood, that's okay. And that's yeah. part of really working with young kids about owning their right. no and giving them permission to feel a no without guilting them or shaming them into compliance. Well, it teaches boundaries. I mean, sometimes right. it's just because old people smell creepy. It's not because <laughs> they're, you know, molesters. It's just right. like, they're like, ew, they don't like wrinkly skin. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is, um, I think that's really terrific. And that's a great way to start to teach these kind of boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, 
we're going to pause the conversation there because we're at time. But um, Alex, thank you as always very thoughtful and very articulate. And I really appreciate having this conversation with you today. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. Thank you. At the end of this episode, remember that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.